With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Howdy, howdy, everybody. Welcome to the program where we're all shook up about the Elvis Presley streaming channel launching in 2022. We heard the channel will reportedly include archival content and specials featuring the king of rock and roll, plus exclusive specials and documentaries. It's being launched by the Cynodyme Digital Networks, and they say that they'll make the channel available in the U.S. and Canada with partners including Samsung, Pluto, Roku, Hulu, Amazon, and Tubi. So we're looking forward to the Elvis channel coming soon. This month of July here on Better Than Before, we have some fabulous guests lined up. Steve Shaparo, a frustrated visionary, will be here to talk about integrating vision into culture. Ken Cladoris, a success coach around finances, and he is also a meditation coach and expert. And Hannah Williams, she is a Gen Z talent consultant. They're all coming this month of July on Better Than Before. And today, to kick off the month, my guest is Dr. Martha Saunders, president of the University of West Florida. And that university has become known as a tremendous university of innovation. And so we'll talk about that coming up next. I'm also going to focus on the basics of the law of cause and effect All coming up today on Better Than Before, sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com.
Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and today is a very exciting day because my special guest today is Dr. Martha Saunders, and she's the sixth president of the University of West Florida. In her 30-plus years in higher education, she served in an academic and leadership role at universities in Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Mississippi. Her area of academic expertise is in public relations and crisis communication, for which she has won numerous awards, including two Public Relations Society of America's coveted silver anvils. Saunders led the University of West Florida to its status as a top-performing public university with the third highest score in the Florida Board of Governors performance metrics. She established the UWF Innovation Institute, the Center for Cybersecurity, and the Office of Equity and Diversity, and oversaw the reorganization of the institution's colleges, and under her guidance, UWF established two named colleges, the Yusha Kundu MD College of Health and the Hal Marcus College of Science and Engineering. Saunders' vision for UWF is for it to grow beyond its beginnings as a regional comprehensive university and be seen as a leader in innovation and cutting-edge academic programs. She plans to build on the university's strengths and its undergraduate traditions while creating programs that will attract the faculty and research funding needed to make the leap to the next level. As an entrepreneurial leader, Saunders is passionate about creating innovative solutions to deal with the dynamic challenges facing higher education, and I'm sure you're going to feel that today as we have our conversation. And she's a change maker. She drives action behind these solutions to propel higher education into the future. It's my pleasure to welcome to our show today, Dr. Martha Saunders. Dr. Saunders, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You bet. I'm so glad to have you and a lot of exciting things to talk about today. But I just got to ask you this just to get our conversation going. Now, when you were a girl, was university president on the list of things you wanted to be when you grew up? (laughs) No. And my students ask me that a lot. When I was a girl and when I finished college, they didn't make women presidents of anything Uh, at all. Right. And so it really wasn't on our radar at the time. And I've just dated myself, I think. But I was on the front end of what we now call the women's movement. And there has been a lot of progress. And there are a lot of us in presidencies today. Yes. And the first board president of a major corporation, Starbucks, just named a female president to their board. And of course, General Motors has had a female CEO for several years now. So women are making great inroads into leadership in all sorts of sectors. And we're real glad of that. I read your bio, of course, and very extensive. But tell me a little bit about your academic career where you started and the different twists and turns you've taken along the way to finally end up at UWF. I came into higher ed comparatively late in the game. After college, I did other things. I tell people I was pregnant for a decade, the 70s, had my family and had all of that. And so I was really, I was 40 years old before I got my doctorate. Mm. And so I was hired here at at UWF, even though I've been other places since then, but I was hired because the department was going up for professional accreditation and they had brought in a consultant. I was doing adjunct work prior to that. They brought in a consultant who said, you better get some women on your faculty 
or you're not going to get accreditation. That was in 1984. And so I guess that's a rather inauspicious beginning. They hired me (laughs) because of my gender, but I do think I've paid them back pretty well. So I started there, came up the ranks pretty fast, got a lot of opportunities and a lot of wonderful encouragement, which is consistent with the culture here at UWF. And I was a dean here and happened to just be in the cafeteria where we all ate around that time. And the last two people at the table were me and the college president. And he was very good about encouraging all of us. And he said, you know, you'd be a good president. Mm. And I gave him that all go on. (laughs) All shucks. Really all shucks, really. And he said, no, I mean that. And then he gave me the most generous piece of advice. He said, but we've taught you all we can teach you here. And you need to go some other places and you need to learn some other things. Mm -hmm. And went home, talked to my husband. We were at that kind of a sweet spot where we could both make a move and Six months later, I was a provost (laughs) at a university in Georgia. And then three years after that, I was in my first presidency and then stayed there in Wisconsin a while. And then my alma mater called and I went back to Mississippi where I had started, was president there and thought I had retired and got the call from this wonderful place. And they said, we need a little help. And I am. (laughs) So that was in. 2012. Well, when I was reading your bio about being at universities in Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Mississippi, I thought, now, which of these are not like the other? Uh, (laughs) One of those children's puzzles, you know, what doesn't match? (laughs) But I'm glad you mentioned the provost in Wisconsin, because that's that's what I was thinking. I'm like, okay, Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, Mississippi. And so I wondered what drew you to the north there, and then you circled back. Yeah. And that was, again, someone nominated me for the chancellorship up there at Wisconsin Whitewater. And I told them, I said, I'm a Southern girl and the accrediting body here, I know very well. I just don't know that I would be a good fit. And either he didn't hear me or. (laughs) And so I went up there thinking I would withdraw from the competition and fell in love. It was just such an exciting place. And they were so passionate about what they were doing. I said, I'll just buy a good coat and good boots and I'm in. And I really did love my time there. Well, I'm Southern bred also. And what's interesting is every state in the United States has its own form of beauty. And so the Dells in Wisconsin, there are a lot of pretty places up there. Every state has some amazing beauty and some things if you just pause to look at it. And I agree with that very much. So the University of West Florida, it's developing quite a reputation as an innovation university. Did you get the ball rolling on that? I wish I could take the credit for it. I think like everything else, the best ideas bubble up. Yeah. And when I returned here, they had just finished an academic visioning process And they were talking about the need for, I don't know, an innovation center or something that would help us utilize the resources of the university 
in a very quick response way. This may surprise you, but universities don't typically move real fast. <laughs> no, not surprising. But opportunities come up fast. Yes. They come up and they don't stay. We don't always have time to form a task force. Right. And so I put together a group of people who knew the university well. And I said, when these partnership opportunities pop up, and they do every day, you know what we've got here. Connect them to the right faculty and the right colleges and let's move. And so that inspired a lot of people. And I think we've done some really good things and are still doing some very good things. But it you know, helped be more responsive. So my clients are mainly CEOs and executive teams. And the whole pandemic thing has been quite an event, of course, as you know. And one of the biggest decisions that my clients are constantly debating and talking about is the whole remote work versus in-office work. How has that affected your university? In-class well, versus remote learning, that sort of thing. Well, of course, it was abrupt <laughs> because March of 2020, we got the word that you got to send everybody home. And for us, part of being a good, innovative university is we were ready. We had built online e-learning shells for every course we teach. Amazing. And so we had quite a few remote learning courses already, but all the faculty had to do was activate the shell. And it populated the site with their syllabus and with their roster. And we did two weeks of boot camp for faculty not had experience doing that. And it was awesome. I, I mean, I went and hung out at the boot camp and there were people that had never taught. I mean, music faculty, art mm -hmm. faculty, that's not something you think of teaching online. Yeah, sure. It just brought out the best in them. It brought out the creative in them. And so we were in a good position, but it still wasn't easy. Really, you would think that the students would have been, it would have been an easier transition for them than the faculty, but it was a struggle for a lot of students. They preferred face-to-face. -face. They learned better face-to-face. -face. And so it was a surprising challenge that we had to get the students as well tuned into remote learning. And then there's the entire staff of a university. We're like a town. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. Absolutely. We have buildings and power plants and all of those things. And how do you do all of that remotely and who stays and who goes home? And If students only had that part to deal with in their life, they might have been able to adjust better, but it affected every area. It was. And my heart just broke for our students. You have a kid who they're going to college and they can't hang out together Yeah, and they can't get to know people. We had them separated six feet apart. And Well, I'm sure your university is, we use this word a lot, but you miss community. Especially, we call ourselves here a spirited community of learners. Yeah. And that requires being together and things like Zoom have been a lifesaver, but it does still require relationship building. And so it was a trial, I think right now what we're looking at is what do we want to keep? Because we learned a lot. Oh, uh, sure. We learned a lot about efficiency. Our faculty have figured out ways of teaching even better 
So my advice to you know, my leadership team is don't be too quick to put it back. Right. Think about everything you're restoring and question it and say, is it better to put it back the way it was or do we want to keep it? And I think we're going to keep a lot of the innovations we picked up on. I was amazed last night. I was watching this documentary on Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And Charlie Munger's 97 years old, and he's on Zoom three or four times a day. Wow. And Warren Buffett's 94, and he's been on Zoom three times in his life. <laughs> so demographics don't really have anything to do with it. It's about the person and what they're able to adapt to. How do you think this is going to shape the higher education model going forward? Well, I do think now that people have realized that there are different yeah, and really, in some cases, been forced to deliver learning in a different way, we're going to see changes. But I think we're also seeing a change in expectations. Mm. Our students, even before COVID, were starting to look at distance learning as an alternative that they, as a convenience, maybe they would say, all right, I'm going to take two courses face-to-face but I have a job, I have to check in at my job at the Olive Garden at three o'clock. So I can't take the rest of them face to face. I'll just do them online. Mm-hmm. And so there's an assumption that courses will be available, equally available online or in person. And so our job is to determine whether they can be taught effectively both ways. And that just requires evaluating how your courses are going. But then there's also a cost. One faculty member can't teach everything. Sure. So I think some of the challenges are going to, I think there will be a much heightened expectation on learning. And then we're going to all be looking at effectiveness. We do a good job of assessing the learning in our courses. We know that distance learning can be equally effective, but we will continue to monitor that as will other universities, what's working well. But I think we'll be at a whole other level. We were talking about the unique beauty of every state in the United States. And Florida is unique because of its proximity to the ocean on both sides of the state, actually. But you have something that you've created called the C3D Lab. Tell us a little about that. Well, the C3D Lab helps our local industries work up mock-ups for their innovations It is open to the community. Our students attend that lab. And of course, it's a materials lab with printers, all manner of additive manufacturing. But what's kind of cool about ours is the students that run that lab, and it's right downtown. It's right in the heart of our historic district. So we have the most contemporary, modern facility right in the middle of 200-year-old district. But the students are engineers and art majors. So we've really brought together the whole design and creativity side along with the technical side of doing it. And so that's been extremely well received. And of course, our professors teach out of it as well. And for our audience, the C is S-E-A. It's S-E-A 3D Lab, the C-3D Lab. 
And also, another thing you've been noted for is your cybersecurity initiative. And so you've earned the title of the Cyber Coast down there. And you guys have been leaders in that area, too. So what's been going on there? I'm really proud of the development of that. And that's our Center for Cybersecurity is an example of doing the right thing at the right time. A few years ago, we're looking at the university celebrated its 50th anniversary. And we said, okay, now what do we do? We believe that we are all that we can and should be for a 50-year-old university. How shall we move going forward? And we determined that our best bet for where we are in Florida and who we are was to leverage the resources of the institution against the resources of the region. And we have Eglin Air Force Base here, which is a gigantic facility. We have a number of research areas here. And so the team recommended said, we need to start a center for cybersecurity and, and I, won't, I won't see what happens, but kind of see <laughs> And it was just exactly the right thing. I got some good leadership in there. And at the time, of course, you can't pick up the paper without reading about cybersecurity issues. You could almost throw a rock in any direction and hit the right thing to be doing in cyber. But we said what this region needs and what this state needs and what this country needs is workforce. We must fit in Florida alone. I think we have 30,000 vacant jobs in cybersecurity. Mm. And you can't just do it by growing college graduates. We can have 500 majors, but that takes several years to get them cycled through. And so we started a program called Cyber for All. And we work with the state and we have trained supervisors of elections. We have trained state employees to upskill them and cross-skill them and basically growing our own cyber-educated workforce. Right now, we're working on a project for the NSA that will take veterans. So they're coming out of the military and they have lots of security clearances, but they don't have the cyber-specific training and we bring them out and then it eases their transition into the workforce beautifully. That's awesome. So I think we're right in the right spot. And I tell my folks, if anybody wanted to give us a name, I would love to be called the university of the next big thing. <laughs> I love that. Because cyber, like anything else, it's going to peak. The market will get saturated. It will fill the need. We need to be at the next thing. Yes. Yeah, we're visiting with Dr. Martha Saunders. She's president of the University of West Florida. And when we were talking before we went on here, I'm here in Columbia, Missouri, and I was talking about how many different universities and colleges and schools we have here. And you made the comment that, so there's no excuse not to be educated. And I know that that's important for you. You think that's very crucial for our future generations, and that's a passion of yours. So why don't you tell us a little about that passion? To state it affirmatively, I think education is the answer to every important question. An educated population can solve problems. They can work together as a community, but you have to know something, <laughs> you know, and right. I really think the more you learn, and that doesn't necessarily mean degrees. It means a foundation of understanding 
that can solve problems, and it does. So I'm passionate certainly about higher education, but I was a public school, high school teacher before I did this, and it starts when a child is born. Mm. Our community has been particularly focused on kindergarten readiness, and I can get behind that because if they're ready for kindergarten, they're going to do well in the first grade. That's right. Uh, and they're going to stay in school and they're going to be all that they can be. It reminds me of something my grandfather always used to say. He'd say, you know, you didn't know how easy problems were until you talked to somebody who knew what to do. Love that. If you get a hold of somebody that knows what they're doing, you can fix a lot of stuff. And you sit there and you watch them do it and you think, ah, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I think of that, right? <laughs> Well, I've got 12 rapid fire questions I ask every guest that comes on the show. So I want to give you a crack at this. So here's the first one. What's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you in your life? Oh, so many. And it's hard to say, but certainly life with my kids. My husband and I have seven children and 11 grandchildren. Well, bless your heart. Yes, thank you. We raised six boys and I tell high school teachers, there is nothing you can describe that I haven't lived firsthand. So seven uh, boys. Wow. Six boys. Oh, six, six boys. Boys. And so that's been, I guess the dearest, the dearest memories. You're just a couple shy of a baseball team there. Gosh. Well, well, with the grandkids, you got one. Yeah. We got it. Who's the number one hero in your life? Oh, again, so many, my mom had to be she was awesome. What was her name? Uh, her name was Vondell, and her maiden name was Lee. And then she married my dad, James Dunnigan. But Vondell she, sounds like a good old Southern name. It's a good Southern name. She grew up in the cotton fields of Seminary, Mississippi. Wow. She was a registered nurse. She worked, this was before ICUs. And so when people were really sick, they had private duty nurses. And she worked seven days a week. She would take a case and stay with the patient until the patient no longer needed her. Oh. And after she passed, I've had so many doctors tell me how great, she, I mean, how tuned in she was to her patients. And she was so good at what she did. And then I have one sister and we were her work. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Sure. And she held us to some pretty high standards, but she never was discouraged. She was always, she was very calm. Sounds like a wonderful woman. She was a great inspiration. What is the top value you subscribe to? Sincerity. Sincerity. I love that. I try to, we go to a lot of meetings in my world and you hear a lot of everybody praising everybody. And (laughs) sometimes it gets meaningless. Sure. I like to think that when I say something, people know I mean it. Who's the most important person in your life? Well, I have to say my husband because you got to said if I I don't say that, but he absolutely is. He's and been his a, name is Jim. Is that name right? Is Joe. Joe. I his knew name. it was a J. I couldn't remember. Yeah, his name is Joe, and he has been. We're great partners in crime. <laughs> you know, he's got an adventurous spirit. I've got an adventurous spirit. And we just got back from a vacation to celebrate his 75th birthday. Oh, wow. 
and we, we went to South Africa and had a grand time. And so we're great traveling buddies. And it's just hard to imagine life without Joe. What's your favorite thing in the whole world? The beach. What's your favorite food? Seafood. And since you're kind of a traveler, what's the most beautiful place you've ever been to? Pensacola Beach, Florida. If you could describe success in one word, what would be the word? Well, I have to give you more than one word. Making it matter. If what you do, even if you make a mistake, if people can learn from it, if it matters, that's it. So here's a legacy question. How do you want to be remembered? That she did what she could with what she had, and she moved us forward. If you could go back and talk to a younger Martha, what advice would you give her? Oh, ask for help. <laughs> ask Faster. Help. Yeah, sooner. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think you can do everything yourself. Crazy what, girl. <laughs> what's your favorite sound? The ocean waves. I like that one myself. And finally, of all the lessons you've learned in your life, what do you think the best lesson was? You know, it'd have to be live in the moment. Be present. You can't fix yesterday. You can't do too much about tomorrow. Be where you are. Dr. Martha Saunders has been our guest today, president of the University of West Florida. And this has just been fantastic. Are you very active on your Twitter? I am. I'm on Facebook, Twitter at Dr. M.D. Saunders is how they can reach me. And if that doesn't work, just go to uwf.edu and go to the president's office. We're quick responders here. And uwf.edu would be where if people are interested in learning more about all the great things you've got going, that'd be the website. Yes. Well, listen, this has been fantastic. I appreciate it. I know you're busy and you gave me a plethora of your time and this was just fun. This was fun. It was great meeting you. You bet. All right. I hope you'll come back sometime. Every time you have something that we need to know about that you guys are doing down there, you're doing so many amazing things. Maybe you can come back and be on again. I hope I can be a frequent customer. Thank you, ma'am. I will have a leadership and business lesson for you next on Better Than Before. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Richards, and on our show this year, we've added some new features. One thing I've added is that once per quarter, I'm doing a deep dive into a business or leadership topic and subject. So far this year, 
In episode number 402, I did a deep dive on coaching your team to success. In episode 412, I did a deep dive on keys to building a healthy sales culture. And also in episode number 419, I did a deep dive on business profitability. Deep dives are on episodes where we take the whole episode and devote it to just one topic and subject. And if there's a subject you would like me to do a deep dive on, you just drop me a note at info at clearvisiondevelopment.com and we will get that on for you. Also today, I'm starting another new series that we're going to develop on the show and it's called the laws of business and success. And today, I'm going to start with law number one and cover the basics of the law of cause and effect. Because in the world of your personal and professional development, this is the master law. And you really have to abide by it if you desire a higher level of success than you want to experience or ever have experienced before. Now, this law is super basic, but very, very powerful. And it basically says that everything happens for a reason. For every effect, there is a specific cause. Now, from this law, Albert Einstein observed that doing the same things again and again, but expecting a different result is basically insanity. Why? Because for every effect, there is a specific cause. When you do a specific set of activities, you create certain results, and those results will not change until you change your inputs, or as the law says, your causes. If you can be clear about the effect or result you desire, you can probably achieve it if you do the right causes. You can study others who have achieved the same or similar goals, and by doing what they did, you can have the same or similar result. It really bothers me when people believe successful people are just lucky. Success is a timing thing. There's no doubt about that. There are certain things which come with a window of opportunity. And that's only available while the window is open and very savvy people recognize it and take advantage of it. Others spend way too much time analyzing the opportunity and the window closes and they miss out. Even with this timing aspect, success is not a matter of luck. Sir Isaac Newton observed this and said, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Consider this principle to go along with this law. Your thoughts are the primary creative forces in your life. You create your entire future world by the way you think. Everything in your life, whether it's people, places, or things, have only the meaning that you give them by the way you think about them. So when you change your thinking, you change your whole life. And I have written extensively in my book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, that you are becoming what you think about most of the time. Whatever you see or experience is the expression of the thinking of the people behind it. Therefore, it is not the world outside that dictates your circumstances or conditions. It actually is the world inside you that creates the conditions of your life. Hopefully, no one is forcing you to think, feel, or behave the way you do. It's a free choice you're making. You have chosen your thinking, and that informs both your feelings and behaviors, which reflect the way you think about what is happening to you. And then through your actions, you create the effects you experience. Here's the good news. You learn to do this by what you've experienced so far in your life, and you're trying to repeat the good and avoid the bad. Not all of this is totally accurate, though, because 
some of these are deceiving and they're deceiving you from experiencing future things that could possibly be very, very good for you, even though in the past they may have been bad or not worked out for you. Your way of explaining things or the story you tell yourself is under your control, and you can interpret your experiences in such a way that you feel happy and optimistic rather than angry or frustrated. You can make the decision to respond rather than react in a way that your responses are constructive, good, and effective. You are always free to choose the causes you want to put in place to create the effects you desire. Here's a couple of things you can do. Number one, observe the cause and effect relationships between what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do with the results you're getting in every area of your life. Most importantly, be very honest with yourself. And number two, analyze how you really think about yourself in relationship to the kind of life you're having today. How are your thoughts in every area of your life causing, creating, and maintaining the situations that you are now experiencing? And most importantly, what changes could you make? What causes could you choose in order to get different effects that would be good for you? That's our show today. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Special thanks, as always, to our guest today, Dr. Martha Saunders, president of the University of West Florida, and our producer, the lovely and talented Tessa Hall. I'm Tony Richards, reminding you until I see you next time, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.